low risk equals low friction, high risk equals high friction. And the continuous authentication platform is what drives that process. Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Back for another episode, and you're in for a treat today because I'm a fellow Texan. I rarely get to say that. So it's great to have another Texan. And today I have Paul Trulove with me. Paul, first of all, Welcome, and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, thanks, Tom. I'm excited to be here. Paul, could you tell us a little bit about your professional background and what you're up to these days? Absolutely. So the most relevant part of my background, you know, started about 15 years ago. I joined a small startup called SailPoint Technologies at the time and really kind of launched into the identity and access management space, you know, as a career from that point on. And so, you know, helped grow SailPoint into a category leader in identity governance and administration. The interesting thing is the early days of what we were doing back at SailPoint, you know, actually revolved a lot more around almost identity risk management, identity GRC than it did security. Now, things have changed a lot over the last 15 years, as we all know, and identity has become, you know, very core to the way that we live our digital and personal lives in many ways. And so over the course of 15 years, helped SailPoint continue to charged down that identity governance path. And then just in the last couple of years, I've moved over to a company called SecureAuth. And we focus on authentication and access management. So a, another core pillar in identity and access, but you know, a slightly different point of view. So I'm CEO at SecureAuth and I was the head of product management at SailPoint. What is authentication and security management? Authentication and access management is a core discipline on how we let people get access to the things that they need access to, you know, in applications, data repositories, platforms, infrastructure. Really, you use authentication probably 10, 15, 20 times a day as you log into various systems. At some level, I had to log in and, and authenticate into my laptop so that I could get on this session. I had to gain access to network so that I had internet access. Everything that we do in our digital lives today is kind of bound by authentication as just a validation of who I am as a person and what I'm supposed to have access to on the back end. And that's really what we focus on at SecureAuth. What are the primary tools or services of SecureAuth? Today, we're focused on both what I would consider the platform components of authentication. So I'm verifying in real time whether somebody can or cannot access a set of things that they're trying to access. So things like single sign-on fit into that. Multi-factor authentication is a you know much more popular topic these days where people are trying to move away from basic authentication frameworks like username and password, and we're using second-factor authentication. Could be mobile device pushes, could be that text code that a lot of people still use. And then we're starting to really branch into more of the passwordless authentication, where we're just trying to eliminate the old username-password combination as a mechanism for authentication and move people to something that is number one, much less creates much less friction for them as an end user. And number two is much more secure for them and the organization that they are, you know, attempting to interact with their digital services. You had a couple of phrases on your website that really intrigued me. And the first is continuous authentication. Yeah. Continuous, you know, anytime you put it in front of something can sound somewhat daunting. In this case, it's actually meant to significantly reduce the amount of friction that a user has to go through when they are authenticating into an application or platform. So for us, 
if you think about the history of authentication, most of the time, the authentication event is a single event that happens in real time when you're trying to access. We'll just take salesforce.com as, as an example. What continuous authentication does is it begins to bridge beyond the initial authentication event. It starts to gather data ahead of that transaction, but it also continues to gather data post-authentication after you've been authorized to use a particular application or have access to a data repository or platform. It allows us to take in a lot more data and use AI and ML paradigms to understand the level of assurance that any particular user has or identity has in the context of authentication. So that instead of just relying on very basic authentication mechanisms, like username and password, I can vary the authentication based on the level of risk. So it's a way to continuously assess whether or not this person is risky or not. And that changes. So if I'm logging in from my corporate network, that's contextual information that I can use to reduce the amount of risk that, that me logging in from the network would potentially have. Now, if I show up at a coffee shop and I'm halfway around the world, the risk of that single authentication event is significantly higher. And so I may choose to raise the bar for what kind of authentication data I'm going to require to let you through to the next phase of your digital journey. Low risk equals low friction. High risk equals high friction. And the continuous authentication platform is what drives that process. What is the Zero Trust Initiative? So Zero Trust is a paradigm that really initiated several years ago, started out much more on the network side of things. I don't want to date myself by saying in the old days, but you know, in the old days, people protected the enterprise with the network. So once you were inside the network, you were assumed to be trustworthy and you had a lot of ability to kind of move around. As the network perimeter for most organizations has disappeared, we've gone to a model where we kind of trust no one and verify everyone. And so zero trust is about as simple as it sounds. It means we don't trust anymore. We have to establish a concrete perspective every time somebody wants to do something and make sure that we are allowing the right people the right access at the right time. And we no longer just assume because they are inside the network, that's good enough security to not continuously verify them on an ongoing basis. Identity and access management has become a very central point of zero trust in terms of how organizations are continuing to execute against a zero trust mindset. What do you see as next generation authentication? Next generation authentication is going to continue to bind to that zero trust mindset of no longer implicitly trusting someone who says they are who they say they are. We're going back to a model that says every single time you interact with a digital asset, I want to have a high level of assurance you are who you say you are. So in order to do that, I have to collect a lot more data. I have to be able to analyze that data in real time. And I have to be able to apply very specific models and policies against that authentication event. To do that, I start using paradigms like passwordless authentication. I start using paradigms like continuous authentication so that I'm not falling back to the legacy authentication mechanisms like username and password, which we know do not sufficiently protect people from account takeovers and other kinds of malicious activities. I think the future for us, you know, like in many, many different industries and different technology platforms, 
is going to be an AI ML based engine that allows us to process a lot more data in real time and make better decisions from an authentication perspective, who we should let in and who we should keep out. And when we are letting somebody in, whether we should raise the level of friction in the process to ensure that we never let the bad guys in, we only let the good guys in when that's what they're trying to do. Let me change the focus just a little bit, Paul, and ask you, what did or perhaps does GDPR mean for the authentication world? GDPR is obviously a wide-ranging framework, very focused on consumer privacy. And consumer privacy, from my perspective, has really been a concern from the very, very beginning of the internet, just like authentication has been a primary concern from the very beginning as well. What GDPR is trying to do is make sure that people have control over the personal data that they're sharing with another entity and that that data is being protected in the right way. So I think authentication and access management and the broader realm of identity and access management as an industry is really trying to help organizations control who has access to personal data that they've collected on their, whether it's customers, consumers, whoever they're, I guess, charged with protecting the private data for. So given that identity and access management is focused on trying to create that boundary around who has access to what how that access is being used, and then in real time granting the access, I think it has a very large part to play in helping an organization be compliant with GDPR as well as other consumer privacy requirements. Do you see GDPR as a barrier to doing business or perhaps more charitably another step that you need to go through to do business in the EU? I guess I'm feeling charitable today, and, and I'll say it's just another step. At the end of the day, I don't think we can sit back in 2023 and suggest that not protecting consumers' data is anything more than a cost of doing business, right? It can't be an impediment. Regardless of what business your organization is, you should be working to protect the privacy of the data that you collect. And so GDPR is just the most aggressive form, I think, that we've seen a wide range of countries take in that it not only defined the methodology that it wanted to see in terms of setting up the right level of protection, but it also had teeth in it in terms of the financial implications of not doing that correctly. And we've seen from time to time, the GDPR finds range in the millions and millions of dollars as a deterrent to not doing you know, a sufficient job of protecting access to data. We're not complying with the broader regulations that are part of GDPR, not just the protection. Even though we don't have a federal or national data privacy law in the United States, do you see many of your customers and clients putting in something that would comply with a GDPR-like framework as, at least at this point, the gold standard? I think many, many customers that we work with are already using GDPR as their primary framework, and they're applying it regardless of whether their customers are in the European Union or outside of that in other countries. I think GDPR to a certain degree has become the standard. In fact, if you look at what California has done here in the U.S., a couple of other states like Virginia, Colorado have kind of followed suit. But even outside of that, in other geographic regions, you know, like Asia Pacific countries, they've all fundamentally used GDPR as a framework for how they are approaching data privacy in, in their own jurisdictions. Informing that GDPR has given to us here in the United States in terms of a business response are you part of any discussions? Are you part of any dialogues about what potentially 
could be put in place in the United States at a federal level, or are we just such a dysfunctional area we can never hope to get anything through Congress? It still feels like a pretty dysfunctional area. The fact, I think, for the U.S. has been, we've been trying to do something at a national level for, some would argue, probably decades at this point. I don't necessarily see significant changes happening in the next, you know, probably three to five years. Right now, it appears that the states are going to take the control where they can. And at some point, I think we will get there. I just don't think it's going to happen in the near future. Let me ask you to maybe turn your head down the road. And I used to say 2025, but given that's 18 months away, perhaps 2030, and ask you about first data privacy efforts, but equally important, the business response. How should businesses be thinking about this? And do they need to put this sort of governance in place now? 2025 is right around the corner. So I think most organizations, as they continue to think about the digitalization of not just the enterprise, I think that's been a big focus looking back in the review mirror, maybe four or five years, but maybe the digitalization of our lives. And now you've got things like chat GPT and other AI bots coming in that are going to put real pressure on how organizations think about data privacy, data collection, you know, the storage of personal information, and then the utilization of that. And they're going to have to think way ahead. And it's going to take industry level, but at some point, governmental regulation to really, I think, drive the, the behavior. While I would like to suggest that every company is going to do the right thing by their customers, not everybody necessarily understands what the right thing is and sometimes needs to be prompted, either through industry level regulations or in some cases, the government stepping in and really guiding that process. And I think there are a wide range of technology with the generative AI being the hot one in the news today that is going to push us maybe to do a little bit more, a little bit faster. But between now and 2030, yeah, people are going to have to plan ahead for what kinds of data they are collecting, how they're collecting it, and ultimately how they're protecting it and utilizing that. Otherwise, they are going to run foul of you know not just regulations, but maybe consumer trust more importantly. I really like what you just ended on. Because to me, that is the most important ingredient, consumer trust mm -hmm. or business partner trust Both. or really any trust. Because if you can't trust the people you're doing business with, whether myself as a consumer or myself as a business venture partner to secure off, probably I'm not going to be able to or even want to do business in the future. Is that a concept that you're seeing or hearing about? Always. I think you're right. At the end of the day, the relationships come back to trust. And whether it is a business-to-consumer relationship or business-to-business -business relationship, trust has to be at the foundation. People in the context of digital commerce often maybe over-rely on trust as a framework for providing their personal data. The way that I view transactions involving my own personal data versus the way that my children do are two totally different paradigms. I tend to be very sparse with what I give out and they seem to be very open. And so that level of trust is going to continue to evolve. And I think organizations have to have a pulse on what their customers expect from them. And then they have to abide by that, you know, on an ongoing basis. Well, Paul, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode. But before we leave, I wanted to ask you if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, any of the topics we've touched on or secure auth, what would be the best place or places for them to go? 
So on the SecureAuth side, everybody can you know go out to secureauth.com. That's our website. We also have a great presence on social media, particularly on LinkedIn. For me personally, LinkedIn is probably the easiest place to find me. So happy to engage in questions and conversations. Tom, I appreciate the time today. It's been a good, been a good chat. Well, Paul, I wanted to thank you again, and I hope we can continue this conversation. If you want to stay up to date on the latest innovations in compliance and help your business run more efficiently, subscribe to this podcast and help spread the word by leaving a review.